Daniel Lenoir here, and Dan, you pronounce you like Dan best. Uh, Dan, Dan is okay. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. All right. All right. So you've. You have three Grammy Award albums of the year uh, that you produced. Okay. And then four nominations, and you worked with some great artists, anywhere from, you know, Platinum Album with U2, but then you worked with Dave Matthews, songwriting, uh, and Jerry Garcia, right? Jerry Garcia, yeah. How about oh, that? I'd love to hear stories about yeah. that on the road and his <laughs> yeah. songs and everything. And yourself, so a songwriter, a producer, and an artist in of yourself, mm -hmm. right? And Belladonna. Had been nominated for Grammys uh, yes. before, so just very well decorated um, yes. musician and artist and songwriter and producer. Sorry, we're trying not to be super fan gushy. <laughs> <laughs> but welcome to our podcast. Yeah, uh, Amy, if, if you want to kick us off, right? Oh, sure. So thank you for, we've been listening to your new album and it's really really interesting it takes you through a, a journey in a way as you listen to it so tell us about your new album well I like the, that you use the word journey because that's that's always been a quest of mine to take a listener on a journey hmm. um, I feel that way about art in general that it, it uh, when you're exposed to it you should you should leave thinking a little bit differently if I see a great film I want to change a little something about my life um, if I hear a great record and uh, Let's say, uh, let's say for a minute, Flesh and Machine, that's the name yeah. of your record, might yeah. qualify as one of those. Yeah. Um, then you, sh you should you know, put the headphones down and think, oh, I, I never had that feeling before. And so it meant a lot to me to invent new sounds, to uh, transport listeners to, uh, to a new kind of place, hmm. a new sort of frontier. Um, it didn't start out that way, you know, the, um, the records started out in a more conventional manner. Mm -hmm. I, had so I had songs with lyrics and vocals. And, and I went through my process of garnishing and, uh, and um, adding toppings and applying my experiments. And then I, took, I did the deconstruction of taking away the song, and what I was left with was fascinating to me. The sounds were unusual, and I felt that I had pushed a kind of symphonic button. Uh, for example, there's a track on, uh, on, on the record called Two Bushes. It sounds like a, somebody's conducting a symphony. But the sounds are such that you don't know what they are. It's not the, the conventional cello or woodwinds. Mm. So I'm very proud of where I've gotten to with the sonics on this. Yeah, yeah. It's quite amazing in yourself. You're quite accomplished in different instruments as an artist and different things that you play. And uh, of course, your steel pedal being the, the primary instrument that you're playing throughout, as well as uh, you know steel drums and other things throughout. Um, is it what? What's your favorite instrument to play? I mean, well, the, the, the guitar? The steel guitar is, uh, I started out as a slide guitar player as mm. a 10-year-old boy. Wow. And then I eventually moved into the electric one, which has pedals, called the pedal steel guitar. And I've stuck with that instrument uh, all my life. And it's, what's interesting about that instrument is it has nothing to do with technology. It has nothing electronic <laughs> about it at all. Uh, you have to practice, practice, and practice. But uh, some years back, I found my own voice. We use that as a... And we in music we use that as a term that when you find uh, an element of originality within yourself. So I found a way of playing it that was not in the uh, in the tradition of country music. Sure. Um, there's some many great country players, and, and I love Texas swing and all that, but I'm not very good at playing it. So I decided that I would just uh, pursue this specific direction that it seemed to belong to me. I've gotten better and better at it, so it is represented on, on the record. There's a track called Aquatic that 
is uh, uh, is all steel guitar and it's very out of body and and uh, I've never heard a sound quite like it. So would you say that? So would you say your mu- what kind of music do you listen to? On a day? Is um, it is it your music or is it country with with the steel um, guitar? Uh, no, I listen to a lot of things. Uh, I, I like a lot of old records. I still like to, to put on my Stan Getz Bossa Nova oh, record, I love Stan which Getz, is a, yeah. a beautiful record, a very romantic mm-hmm. sound. And, yeah. and so, uh, I mean, I'll never be Stan Getz, but I would like to make music that pushes the romantic button. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Aquatic kind of does that. It's a, more introspective than what Stan did, um, but it's... Uh, there's something very beautiful and deep and romantic about it. And dreamy, a little and, bit. Too. And dreamy, yeah, yes. yeah. So, but I, dreamy is good, you know. If it dreamy causes, is very good. If it causes well, people to dream and to and right. and, and causes people to uh, wake up the imagination mm-hmm. and, and uh, kind of build their own movies in their head, that's good. Yeah. So, what's your first memory of music? Uh, my first memory of music would be um, from around the house. I was a French Canadian kid. And uh, the, uh, that community around there was a self-entertaining community. And my grandfather and father were violonneux, we called them, uh, which means they're fiddlers. So I heard a lot of old jigs and uh, um, kind of uh, old, uh, you might say, Appalachian hymns. Mm-hmm. Um, and those melodies always stuck with me. Uh, they're beautiful, beautiful classic, uh, um, almost Celtic mm-hmm. in, in spine. Um, so that that was uh, sort of the, the, my foundation in music, mm. and, and uh, those melodies are still with me today. It almost feels like, well, it, it, it's almost like those those songs give you a feeling, an inspiration when you were younger, and in almost the, the music that you songwrite in in your latest Flesh and Machine, kind of want to portray a feeling with the music, right? And kind of bringing that forth, bringing it forward. Well, the, yeah, the, the job of Flesh and Machine really is to um, take a listener. To the future of music, um, because the sounds are so far out that it, because they they are not familiar sounds largely. Uh, I think it it, uh, it frees the listener to, um, um, you, you might say, imagine a place that they could go to. Um, it's okay. <laughs> And the air conditioner just kept kept in. It's, it, it, it's okay. It's not my aura. It's really loud. Adds ambiance to this. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> um, Continue, please. But the, uh, I suppose you know the, the lack of convention, lets the listener off the hook a little bit, and they can just escape into their own imagination. And I like the I like. To think that listeners can invent their own little films, you know, in their heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, it's a soundtrack for imagination. Mm. Wow. So, a question for you: This being an innovation podcast, when I say the word innovation to you, what what does that make you think of as far as you, your history and music and being an artist and being a producer, being a songwriter, being an artist yourself? Yeah. What's the <clears> first <throat> thing that pops in your mind when I say innovation? Well, when I hear the word innovation uh, in regards to myself, I think of my laboratory mm-hmm. because I have uh, I have my own research and, and, and uh, my own my own research development um, room in my house, and I go to that place, and I have different tables set up with different projects on each table, hmm. um, and um, 
I like it that way. It's the way that scientists work. You know, they might yeah. have one little experiment going on in the corner here. If they get frustrated, they move to the other experiment. <laughs> so I keep, I keep, because um, <clears throat> I have several uh, recording uh, tables, if, if you like, in my studio. So I'll keep a little something going on the one table that I'm excited about, and I don't dismantle it. Um, computers allow you to do a lot of things, but you can only, you know, there's a lot of hidden information, and you have to call upon the information yeah. to see it. Yeah. Well, I, I don't use the hidden information technique. I keep it. I use exposed information technique. Okay. So I'll have a table with a sound. Maybe it has a riff or a melody or a texture, and. Um, and I respect that it has that. It may mm. not be complete in itself as a composition or as a finished work, but it has something about it that I'm excited with. So I leave, I leave it there because I know if I come back to it, I feel the excitement right away. Mm. And um, so that's, that's how I chose to work years ago. I call, I call these tables and my stations, mm -hmm. my sound stations. And um, so they're my little friends and I keep going back to them and then they, they keep building and building, and one may even merge with another down the hall to the other table. They may, they may amalgamate somehow. Yeah. Um, so that's what innovation means to me. Uh, I wake up every morning imagining what sound could be, what the future of sound might be. And so that dream has been with me since I was a kid, and I've been lucky to have worked with some quite brilliant minds over the years, and they also respect um, innovation, which means something new to me, you know, to, and at any given time when everything, uh, when there's a lot of sameness, I see sameness as a wonderful opportunity to do something different. So I see a little crack of light in the door and I think, oh, I see the, poten the potential in an idea and then I pursue that, that idea and, and flesh it out and everyone else might not see what I'm seeing, but that's okay, they will eventually see it if I pursue it. So that's how I see innovation. A very small beginning with a lot of potential. I love that approach, and I, I love that approach. Just the thought that kind of kind of being different in that regard and, and breaking from the sameness is kind of what you're saying. You're yeah. seeing the sameness, you see the little crack, you see the opportunity mm -hmm. to kind of take it to the next level, as opposed to kind of just going out there and being the same as everybody else and getting lost in the fold. Uh, you were gonna ask something. Sorry. Do you want me to shut off this air conditioner? No, it's okay. Okay. We'll be we'll be fine. All right. We'll do some magical. I could I could apply some innovation. I could go and put somebody in a headlock. How's that? There we go. Actually, I'd like to take a picture of that. Innovation. I've got two questions in my head right now. So you mentioned that you've had the opportunity to work with a lot of great artists, and you know, obviously. Hopefully the world knows. Of course you have. So, who who inspired you, or what experience was the most in inspirational? And maybe does every experience change you and and sort of alter how you think of it because of the or how you think about proceeding because of the experience? Or is there one particular person or artist or group that you worked with that changed the way you think? Well, I've had several chapters of innovation and I've been lucky to have worked with some some brilliant minds um, I was uh, I made a lot of ambient records with a guy named Brian Eno yeah. when I in uh, this is back in Canada uh, I met Brian Eno at a time when I was very highly skilled but I was not um, I did not have a specific direction I was just really good with my equipment I was a great editor and I knew a lot about sound but I had not made uh, 
uh, the records that I really wanted to make. But when I met Eno, he was so directed and so specific about what he wanted to do. So what I learned from him was that uh, uh, if you have an idea about where to go and you commit yourself to that idea, then you have a better chance of getting to a very innovative place. So he had an idea to make uh, what he called then ambient music. Mm -hmm. Textural music that uh, uh, was not just background wallpaper music, but textural music that actually had uh, a sense of commitment, a sense of love, and, um, uh, and a sense of depth. So to, for, for ambient music, for textual music to be soulful. So we devoted ourselves to this direction for a good few years and made some very beautiful records. Mm -hmm. They're not very commercial records, but they're very reliable ones. To this day, we, uh, people come back to those records as, as uh, the beginning of a, of a movement of ambient music. Mm -hmm. So this really set a tone, uh, a tone of values for me to operate by. So I didn't keep making that ambient music as, as I made with Eno, but I kept the values intact. So as I entered then the next chapter of passion, um, I was able to, to apply the, the ethics that I learned with Eno to this you know, the next chapter of excitement. Hmm. So was that next chapter production, or how did you get into production? Well, production, um, I never thought I was a producer. People just mm -hmm. started calling me that one day. <laughs> You're <laughs> uh, now a producer. <laughs> I, started, uh, I, I, I started a recording studio in my mother's basement mm -hmm. when I was a kid, yep. and I really loved it, and I, I was self-taught. My brother and I started this, and so we learned together. And uh, he was the scientist of the two, and so he was really good at uh, wiring things together and challenging uh, the uh, factory recommended use. <laughs> so, in a way, by being naive, we were able to plug something that shouldn't have been plugged into the other, and we got some pretty fascinating results. Um, and it just, um, we just kept getting better and better at it. And. Uh, and I started recording my friends, and they mm -hmm. told other friends, and I found that I really enjoyed helping people. Um, did you have a band, or did your brother or your friends I, have a band? Um, I was in a band, and there were some other bands in the neighborhood. And the thing that doesn't get talked about a lot is talent has a, <laughs> is a big part of it. Um, what? I'm not saying that, <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm responsible for for my for my God-given talent, but I am I'm musical and I'm talented. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to apply my talent, and uh, and that ran in tandem with my uh, my love for helping people. So I could say, oh, I think I have a way of improving this arrangement, or have you considered this harmony? Uh, or if you shorten the intro and lengthen the solo, and then drop uh, drop the the track down here, and then crescendo here, and do a long fade. Mm -hmm. So just just horse what seemed to me to be horse sense advice um, to other people was valuable advice that they could not come up with on their own so they started asking me for my help and yeah. before I knew it I, that's what I was doing I was um, I was recording and apparently producing people <laughs> <laughs> you've given yourself the own time, your own time right <laughs> um, and uh, but I never went to school for it so uh, uh, I'm not saying drop out of school right <laughs> we're not advocating that, that necessarily that's just, that's just the way I uh, that's just the way I did it you know? have you have you always been very creative even before that uh, I think musicians are creative mm -hmm. so the uh, you know to have a musical talent it's really uh, it's a certain part of the brain um, 
some people are good with languages, other people are good with math, and uh, so to be musical is having an understanding of a certain kind of language. So um, I think just by by a given talent, one gets to be creative. Yes, I am creative. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. Well, you know, in technology, I always see a, an extreme overlap of we we know a lot of people who are gifted technologists who are also into music who are also very mathematical and i think there's some kind of science mad scientist slash artist slash mathematician that it's all it's all a com combination cook okay i chef. think <laughs> i think all all those people you talked about uh, have the capacity to ask questions i wonder why that door is squeaking and someone else might not hear the squeak at all. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I pull out the, the sewing machine oil and I solve the squeak problem. And I think, well, now that I've got the, the oil in my hand, what else can I do? And then it just, it just goes from there. So by, uh, I think that's where, that's how revolutions begin, asking questions. Of, do we really have to be subservient? <laughs> and so on and so on. So. Yeah. Or being observant. To observe and to listen and to... Uh, to solve problems really in your head, what you, you might regard to perhaps a, a waste of energy would be, a, you know, somebody comes up with a better idea for a, a solar panel or a light bulb that won't draw so much current or an LED mm -hmm. suddenly yeah. draws very little power so you're more cost effective and the light uh, is just as bright. Well, that's one of the things, I mean, your ability to ask questions and, and think through those details that I think absolutely has must have made you as successful as you've been and legendary. Um, but I, I read recently some things that you said about the un helping pr or producing the Unforgettable Fire and that was your one of your first forays into a mobile production studio and actually taking the studio and building it and bringing the artists, well, bringing it to the artist as opposed to bringing the artist into the studio. And then I read your time with even Bob Dylan and, and your approach to building the production studio and just thinking about those details and, and how every little bit that goes into the ambience and, yeah. and, 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 and the environment, everything around it is, is a big part of, well, some part of, yeah. What makes the, the ultimate product as good as it is? And that's innovative in and of itself. And okay. how has, I mean, you went from lugging big mass amounts of equipment over to a castle for you too. <laughs> and, and now to maybe it's a lot more mobile because of technology. How, yeah. how has that changed? Yeah. Well, back, back in those days, it was unusual to make a record outside of a conventional studio. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I felt that the conventional studio was a little confining sonically because you only you only had the sound of one room, mm -hmm. um, and um, in the town where I grew up in Canada, they were relocating the library, and the li library vacated the most beautiful old building in uh, in the city of Hamilton, and I knew somebody at City Hall, and they let, they let me use the old the old library for a year. So this allowed me to uh, experiment with uh, hallways, big rooms, little rooms, bathrooms, closets, all kind of fascinating rooms. So I was able to study the result of uh, recording music in these unusual size rooms. So I, I became quite knowledgeable um, 
with these experiments. And then luckily, uh, the following year, I was invited to work on uh, The Unforgettable Fire that you mentioned. And so there was something premonitional about having had the, the appetite mm -hmm. to investigate different rooms. Um, and then when I got invited to work with you two, they also wanted to work outside of the conventional studio. So I, I said, hey, we're in luck. I, know I, I already know <laughs> I how to do to it. <laughs> um, and th th this is part of, of the artistry that's a little hard to talk about because it, it lives outside of plan and mm -hmm. outside of uh, conventional thinking. So if you have a hunch about, about mm -hmm. a direction, then it's, it's, it has served me well to, to follow that hunch. So how did you... So what type of atmosphere were you recording in for this this current album? Well, this current album uh, has a lot of, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of laboratory work mm -hmm. in it. Uh, I use a, a technique whereby I, I overdub conventional uh, instruments like piano, mm -hmm. maybe a steel guitar, or my voice. Uh, but then I... I don't put those instruments in the mix, but I still have access and we float them. It's just a term that we use where you don't hear them or they're there. And then you send to a processing box, use that as source material to, and you send the sound to a processing box. That processing box samples, which is, you take a little snippet, like a little snapshot of that sound. And then once I have the snapshot, I manipulate. I might change the octave, I might change the tone, add an echo, filter it to the point where it's no longer the same sound as the source. That's where it starts getting interesting to me because mm -hmm. then I can apply what's called a voltage control oscillator, which is the sound of, a, of that vibrato in the human mm -hmm. voice. Where it goes, ah, so that vibrato, you can do that electronically, what is called a VCO. So I apply a VCO to that sound and it now becomes somewhat human-like but not exactly human-like, uh, but it has uh, it has something emotional about it. You mm -hmm. respond in an emotional manner because of the VCO, and you start There's feeling for the sound. It's almost like a little critter you want to pet, <laughs> <laughs> like, like a hamster or something. <laughs> sure, what a beautiful little sound that needs to be nurtured. I, th I think I want to live with that sound and and take care of it. <laughs> and that's part of the attraction of records. Oh, that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, you might you might hear a shepherd's flute and say, Oh, that shepherd's so lonely. <laughs> 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 um, so the uh, by uh, so that's it. We turning conventional recognizable sounds into new sounds, and having them be, having them have the capacity to draw an emotional an emotion from the listener. There you go. I just spoke English. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. So we, as I mentioned earlier, Jason and I are both attending your concert tonight in Chicago, and I know you're on tour, so. <laughs> How do you translate that to a live performance versus okay. in your and studio? And the Sun Times article okay. kind of talks about you trying yeah. to bring that forth okay. tonight. We're well, excited to hear this. Well, this is where it gets interesting. I'm, ca <laughs> I'm, I'm calling it taking the studio to the stage. Um, so um, in the past, I've always done all of this in the studio, mm -hmm. made a record, and then turned up live, and you, tr you try and replicate it the best you can with live musicians. But this time I decided not to hide the sutures of my work, um, I prepared um, a little multi-track, just an eight-track rendition of what I did in the studio. So I have access to um, some of the most fascinating sounds, but in isolation. So I, I have uh, the time, we call it metronomic time, and I can feed uh, Brian Blade, who's on the drums mm -hmm. tonight, yep. uh, metronomic time. So he hears that and plays along with that. So 
by having metronomic time, it gives me access to what we call uh, dub echoes, mm -hmm. which is that Jamaican yeah. sound like a hey, 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 hey. So you add a triplet echo. So I, I prepare these triplet echo um, uh, parameters that are fixed. So when I send one of Brian's drums to the, to the echo, it's a very, very beautiful, explosive Jamaican-like sound that, I, that belongs to the night. So it's no longer a preparation at that point. Um, and then I have some other sounds on there, on there that are more symphonic. What same technique as I spoke to you about earlier, the sounds are mm -hmm. floated and then I can send them to my boxes and okay. then do new samples and dubs that belong to the night. So we have a bedrock of um, geometry or architecture, if you like, and then, but the toppings are fabulously ad-libbed. So there's a lot that belongs to the night, even though it's a well-laid-out plan. I love how you call it toppings. <laughs> As you were talking about your lab and you're putting mm -hmm. in toppings, but also yeah. belonging to the night, it, obviously that makes everything tonight being very unique as far as how you're going to be delivering the music as opposed to the record, which is recorded in a point in time of Flesh and Machine, right? Yeah, well, yes, every night is wildly different because uh, Brian Blade is a great improv mm -hmm. specialist on the drums, one of the world's greats, and, and I love doing my thing, and, uh, and this is exciting for me because I've never, I've never gotten to do it live. And I'm pretty good at moving all those controls. Mm -hmm. I've been doing it since I was a kid, and nobody ever sees what I do. Um, so it's, it's exciting to me to uh, respond to the audience and, and, and provide them with something that they've never heard before. So it's a brand new frontier for me, um, very exciting, and uh, I don't know, man, I, but I still have my steel guitar with me. We saw it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we, we had yeah, the yeah. pleasure of observing so, it. We didn't touch it, although uh, I was that's, felt uh, compelled. That's my, that's it's my out of tune now, because she was like going on. <laughs> So is that where you're going to be all night on the steel guitar? No, the steel guitar, um, I'll be on that for uh, the electro part of the set, which I call, that's what I call the, the sort of mm -hmm. the studio preps part of the set, is an hour 15. Within the electro set, I play uh, steel guitar on two numbers. And then separately from that, uh, there's another portion of the set that is uh, dedicated to the steel guitar, and that's about a seven minute uh, portion. Um, and I look forward to that every night because it is so beautiful an instrument and so unpredictable. It has it has a lot to do with the touch and and how how what mood, mood what mood I'm in and what mood she's in. Wow. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. So we have about five minutes left with well, you. Apparently thank somebody, you so much yeah, for your time. No. Um, so now we like to ask a couple of personal questions at the end. Mm -hmm. um, softballs, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> but um, I'm sure you've gotten this a lot, but your heroes, top five people that have really influenced you or um, met, met okay. a great deal. Well, so, some of my heroes are my friends. Brian Eno mm -hmm. is one of them. Uh, I'd say Bob Dylan is one of them uh, hmm. in regards to records. Uh, my mother, my mother Jean Bet, she had my uh, my brother when she was 18, so she started. We grew up with my mom, so she was my biggest supporter. She never pushed me into any particular direction. She said uh, she was just happy to know that I was in the basement and staying out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I know where he's at. I don't, I don't care what you're doing out there. Uh, just, uh, you're and, um, Somebody delivered a package earlier, but I don't know. Um, and then I have um, a guy who works with me uh, to this day, and he's on the road with me. Wayne Lorenz is not a very famous hero, but he's a hero of mine because he's like a rock. 
-hmm. and he, uh, uh, if ever uh, I go too far emotionally, I just look at Wayne and say, okay, that, that's the rock that I can stand on. So that's four heroes, and we just need to, I just need to come up with one more. Uh, Muhammad Ali, how about that? <laughs> wow. <laughs> because he was able to bring humor and, uh, and excellence, and one of, the, one of the first rap artists, really. He was that good with the, in interviews. He watches interviews. Interesting, and he's really, I Quite fascinating. Okay, I can do so that. There you go. The beginning of rap, Muhammad Ali. <laughs> there you go. You were here, it. heard it here first. Um, analog versus digital. Um, I keep all my old lenses, if I could use a photographic term. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Any any piece of equipment that has served me well, I maintain and, and hang on to it and keep it polished and use it for that sound. Uh, and I use, uh, so those um, you might say are analog pieces. Uh, and then that would include instruments. You know, mm -hmm. have some Steinway pianos that have nothing to do with the technology, <laughs> but you must maintain them and respect them. and. And, and they have a beautiful sound, mm. um, and I have a good few of them. Uh, but I use a digital carrier. My, my recording machine mm -hmm. is a digital medium, uh, and that's called a radar machine. It's a Canadian machine. So I like that Canadian machine because uh, it keeps me out of trouble, and I can make copies of multi-track really quick. Push up one button, copy, ding, and you're going to copy. Analog uh, multi-tracks used to take a lot of time, and you had, uh, they were they were difficult to do. They they would take hours, and some people have to be waiting for you to, to make a copy. So the uh, uh, it allows me to do a certain kind of editing very quickly. Mm. Makes sense. So up and comers, who who gets you excited? Um, I have a friend in L.A. who is is a great uh, is a great musician. His name's Rocco DeLuca. Yeah. Rocco DeLuca. Yeah. I've produced a couple of records for Rocco, and I think he's really. Uh, is really terrific, and his values are, uh, really appeal to me. So he's uh, in this fast world. It's nice to see that somebody uh, still rolls his own cigarettes and carries mm. his little tea-making system and his own green tea and some of the, some of the little things uh, uh, that I appreciate. He has them on him all the time, and um, when I'm running around like a worried hen, um, <laughs> he he's chilled and uh, sitting in the other chair. So. It, is a is a good uh, is a good point of reference for me to keep calm. <laughs> uh, last question. So, what do you think the future of music is in the world of Spotify? Oh, um, well, the business of music is. I can't really talk too much about that because um, I know where I'm going with mm -hmm. it. You know, I'm, I'm happy to um, to be playing live. Uh, I think it's. That's still a never-ending frontier mm -hmm. that can be replaced by technology. So as we're sitting here in a room having a nice conversation, um, uh, there's no, more, no amount of robot, uh, robots that could be built that we, yeah. we could replace you know, this interaction that we're having here. So um, I like the idea that live music will, will live on. And, um, but you and love connecting with your fans. That's I'll, something unique that I've read uh, recently that... You love to kind of change things up a little bit, like bringing how you're recording and your music and your sound and your style to the stage, but connecting with people more so, right? And that's all. You have to get that from a live performance. You can't get yeah. that from a record, right? Well, that's just gotten bigger and bigger. Um, I, I always say as, atten as church attendance falls into demise, 
people still have the al the appetite to congregate, mm -hmm. and that's why we're yeah. seeing a rise in festivals and and so the uh, it's like the shifting of the monsoons really. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, I think congregation is something that we will always appreciate as human beings. Um, but hey, man, we all love technology. You know, I got a nice little story in the LA Weekly. Uh, we're doing a show there on the 16th, and I was able to send that story by the uh, by the push of a button to mm -hmm. a good few friends, some of them in Europe that wouldn't have a chance to read the paper mm -hmm. otherwise. And so the the mythology or the the news can be spread quite quickly, and we can all sort of have a laugh about it and and enjoy fast times. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been an extreme honor to be able to spend any amount of time with you okay. um, personally. Yeah. And and you've definitely had a big impact on my musical <laughs> journey through my life. And okay, it's well, truly an yeah. honor. And uh, best of luck tonight. And yeah, we'll be uh, out in the audience enjoying yeah. enjoying the musical journey. I'll supply with, with you I'll supply you with some tomatoes, so if I see tomatoes getting thrown, I'll know, that, I'll know where they're coming from. <laughs> we know the only two people that have tomatoes in that audience. <laughs> Get them out. Never, never. Thank you again, Dan. We appreciate your time. Thank you for your kindness and, and, and uh, your uh, support for my music. And here he comes. <laughs> Laying down the law. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Oh, so nice to meet you. For more information about Daniel Lenoir, or to purchase the new anti-records release, Flesh and Machine, please visit www.daniellenoir.com. That's www.danielenois.com.